Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, we're welcoming Peter Filkins to read from his new book of poems, Water Music. He'll be in conversation with me. But before I introduce him, I want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. We also have limited um, in-store browsing, so make sure you bring your mask and social distance if you want to come to the store. Thank you. Peter Filkins is the author of four previous collections of poetry, What She Knew, After Homer, Augustine's Vision, and The Viewer Granted for which he received the 2013 Sheila Margaret Martin Book Prize from the New England Poetry Club. His work has received the Stover Memorial Award in Poetry from Southwest Review and the New American Press Chappuck Award, a finalist award in Poetry from the Mass Cultural Council, an Outstanding Translation Award from the American Literary Translators Association, a Berlin Prize from the American Academy in Berlin, and residencies at the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, the Malay Colony, the James Merrill House, and the Tyrone Guthrie Center. His poems, essays, and translations have appeared in The American Scholar, The New Republic, Poetry, The Yale Review, The Suwannee Review, The Paris Review, The New York Times Book Review, and numerous other publications. He serves as the Richard B. Fisher Professor of Literature and Creative Writing at Bard College at Simons Rock, and also, and also teaches translation at Bard's main campus in Annandale on Hudson. Welcome, Peter. I'm so happy to have you. I'm sorry I messed up that last pronunciation there. That's all right. Thank you, Lance. No problem. So you have um, some poems and some readings for us today, right? I do. Yes, happy to. Shall I begin? Begin away. Great. Um, I think I'll begin with a, a poem called Blood Moon Blues, which is in the first section of Water Music. And uh, the book, I think, rides the line between culture and nature. And when we're in the realm of culture, we're in the realm of history and the world that we that we live in. And uh, a blood moon is is a uh, what is has a technical term. It is a full eclipse of the, the fourth of four full eclipses of the moon, 
with no partial eclipses in between. And it's a fairly rare event. Uh, it's called the, a lunar tetrad. Uh, and between 1580 and 1909, there were none whatsoever, no, no occurrences whatsoever. So over 300 years, you did not have a blood moon. The last one was in summer 2015. And that's when uh, things were kind of beginning to heat up, shall we say, uh, in this country and have continued to, to uh, even now. So it seemed to me a fitting metaphor. Uh, for the times, um, and so uh, Blood Moon Blues. Protesters marched, shutting down cities. Senators sponsored their own annuities. Car bombs were back, hemlines higher. Forecasters tracked low fronts and fires. Children were told their parents were thugs. Governments banned playgrounds and hugs. Analysts mourned stagnating markets. Terrorists surveyed, expanded new targets. Refugees crossed invisible borders, arriving malnourished, colder and poorer. High up above, a blood moon rose. The seas churned on the shore decomposed. Venus and Mars ascended in unison. Glaciers kept forming palatial ruins. While higher yet, at the back of space, a star imploded, leaving no trace. But hydrogen and helium, the seeds of our genus, potent as love or neutral virus. So it's very much a poem of our times or through our times, but I live in a very beautiful part of the world, um, uh, Western Massachusetts, the Berkshires, and I'm very fortunate to live on a lovely lake. I spend a lot of time in nature and nature is a great solace to me. And that's kind of the, the flip side. I find nature providing great sustenance. This is a little poem called Credo, which I think speaks to that. Never complain. The jungles say, blousy with breeze, they cannot hold. And the breeze itself, saturated, cold, dispenses torrents of black cloud drained to quick exhaustion and the marauded plain of jungles blazoned. Never complain. Um, along with that, a poem called Sun Through Snow. I was uh, fortunate enough to be at a writer's residency in Ireland a couple of years ago and looked out my window over another lake. And uh, what I saw was basically a, a poem, a, a painting by, by Turner, J.M.W. Turner, um, one of his you know, big washes of light um, and illuminations. What I was actually looking at was a squall of snow through which the sun was shining and uh, sat down to, to uh, write about it. It's actually the only time I've ever written a poem in real time. It took me about an hour to write the poem, looked up and the squall had just finished uh, just after I uh, completed the draft of the poem. Sun through snow. Turner could have done no better, nor did he articulating the light made now radiant, prismatic, hills, lake, trees, and woolen sky, filtered by this sun-threaded squall of snow, as real as veneration. The smell of rain, the heft of stone, or the thought that within an hour it will be gone, the veer and waft 
and thrust of clouds and light, electric with the backlit pulse and shimmer of each ray of snow, consigned to memory and weather, closing down this moment's glow. And then I'll just read uh, one more, which takes us back to the world. We can't live in the world of nature all the time, but the daily world. Um, I drive a lot because of my commute to both Simon's Rock and Bard College. Um, and this is kind of a poem, having spent a, a lot of time in my life driving to and from work, um, simply called Envoy. A burl of light on a pane glass window, cold drizzle, wet snow, eruptive weather. And this, our only legacy, to know the low-hung cloud that glances off a mirrored surface yet more real than the cloud itself, muddy April, indecisive to the last, mimicking the slap of wipers back and forth across the slope of windshield, or oddly at the corner of Maine and North, that storefront window reflecting now the curve of heaven, the noxious exhaust, pedestrians astride, the polished glass, the cars rolling by, the dog on its leash. Thanks very much. That was fit. great to listen to. Um, Thank you. That's some beautiful poetry there. Um, now let's and let's start our conversation. This was fit. that was fantastic. Um, so I like to I like to um, start all of my uh, conversations with um, asking the author, what do you? With everything happening right now in the world, uh, the global pandemic still happening, um, are you? What are you reading, watching, or listening to? That's like helping you. That's giving you some sort of sense of peace right now. It could have been something that happened previously, or something that like you're in the past. Because it's been a full year. In the past year, you've um, just like consumed that. Like you were like, oh, this is calming me right now, or helping me escape. Yeah, it's uh, kind of very fortunate. I, I teach, of course, and at Bard College, I'm this semester. I'm uh, I decided to teach a course called uh, Rilke in English, the the great German poet Rainer Maria Rilke, mm -hmm. and all of his work in English, all of his poetry, and his novel, uh, and his short stories and essays. And Rilke is a poet who asks us to dwell in the world, to be patient, to let the world around us ripen as we perceive it, and then for that world to ripen within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it, there is a, a spiritual component to that, not, not a, I wouldn't say religious, it's more of a sort of metaphysical spiritual component. And the poems are lovely. I mean, they, they, they just, they, they make the reader slow down. They, they uh, return us again to a natural world quite, quite often and, and to a place of solitude versus feeling solitary or isolated. Right. And of course there's a difference. We've all felt so isolated and solitary over the past year. Yeah. Um, and it's just been wonderful. And, and my students have particularly enjoyed Rilke. Um, and that's been very nice to see because they've had the same kinds of struggles and to see them feeling enriched uh, by a poet. Uh, and 
and again, allowed to slow down. Our world right now doesn't allow us to slow down, though, of course, the pandemic did <laughs> in a well, different way. It's so funny you say that, too, because I feel like from a lot of uh, essays and nonfiction work that I've read that's come out during the pandemic, and most and most of them have been written during the pandemic, too, have like had to talk about how they've had to come to terms with their slowing down and finding peace in that. I think that's something that as a community, when I say community, I mean like as a world community, we've all had to do. So that's, I think that's fantastic you found that. Um, I might have to visit some of his poetry myself now. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, oh, thank you so much for that recommendation. Um, so my first question for you is, nor the first thing I wanna ask is, could you, if you could tell me about a time before you started writing this, or even like in the early stages, where you like realized what this work was going to be for you. Yeah, um, I, I as I said, the the book I feel rides the boundary between culture, history, and nature, and uh, solitude, if you will, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then art is mixing in there someplace too. That whether it be Turner, I have a poem on a Monet painting as, as well, and then I have an elegy for Seamus Heaney, and a uh, poem that uh, is an homage to Michael Longley, an Irish poet who I quite like. Um, very early on, and this is about that 2015, 2016, when the the world was in such turmoil, and particularly this this country was in such turmoil, and and I think as you could see from something like Blood Moon Blues, I'm not afraid to write to or about that turmoil, mm -hmm. um, and yet I also realized the best thing I could do is to try to capture the loveliness of the world too, almost as an affront to that turmoil, to sort of stand the, the beauty of the day up against the, the ugliness of, of politics and, and so much that's happened. So I, I found myself, I remember this very distinctly, just sort of looking out and saying, the best thing I can do is write, what's, write about what's right around me um, and try to write about it as, as accurately and imaginatively um, as as I can, and that's 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 the the act of the artist. Um, though I did want to include the sort of historical turmoil uh, as well, so the book kind of rides both of those those waves. Right. That's. I mean, I think that you do a great job, and even like because you sent me a early copy of it too, or just like uh, to read before this but even hearing you talk about it too which I feel like for poetry for me especially like it's so much different reading it than hearing it which mm -hmm. I feel like is just like it's so important but even like hearing you read it I just I felt that connection there in your work That's right and I I want to like also the you the way you talk about nature it's so funny because uh where you are right now is my neck of the woods is where I'm from and I can right. picture the what you were talking about so perfectly because that is the nature is such a big part of New England um can you tell me because I I I personally don't know how long you've lived in New England for but like what is your relationship in your work with that nature you see in New England 
Well, that's actually, I could have included that in, in, the, in the previous answer. Um, I live in the house I grew up in. I've lived oh, wow. in this house for over six decades. Uh, and when, uh, the, you know, again, the book title of the book is Water Music. I've been listening to water music for six decades. Um, and it does have a music. It, and so uh, I feel very, very deep connection to this landscape. I joke sometimes that uh, with folks that I know the history of blades of grass in my lawn. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's how deep down it goes. Uh, right. and so that was part of that that feeling. It was part of the world maybe going to to hell around me, but that doesn't mean my world has to. Um, and you know, again, to to pay honor to to the the just you know the the raw beauty of the day, um, and and that's something I've always taken solace from, even as a small boy and and throughout throughout my life. So I feel a very very deep connection to the landscape. Yeah, and like you are like, I feel like your joy your in a community too of authors and writers who've like been inspired by that New England landscape as well. Like, yeah. I think like Emily Dickinson, um, I think like Mark Twain, these like people, and you see in their work too, that they like, the nature is very important to them, the nature of where they are. So like, I feel like you're definitely in that community of people as well. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, on my I, my drive to, to campus every day, I pass by Herman Melville's house where he wrote Moby Dick. Um, yeah. And uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne lived just another 20 minutes south of there. Emily Dickinson over the hill, an hour east from here. Robert Frost, an hour north. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, du Bois uh, was born in Great, Great Barrington, W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes lived in, in, in Pittsfield. Um, so it's, a, it's always been a, a very rich landscape for, for writers. I don't know why. I, I, you know, I, I mean, it's <laughs> It's beautiful, but there are many beautiful parts of yeah. the states and the worlds, but there seems to be something in the water here for writers. I don't know what that is. I, and I, I don't know what it is either, but like in the way that you, like you're so connected with that, like I remember like passing the Mark Twain house every day before I went to school and like you like just feeling like, okay, this is someone like, this is this writer that like I'm supposed to, I feel connected to, even though the world also feels connected to, but I have this little special insight there too. Have you, is there a writer like that, that like you grew up, since you grew up in this like environment that you kind of feel that connection to? Well, I, I will say I, um, I'm, I'm a first generation college student, so I didn't feel like I grew up uh, in a, in a, if you will, high cultured uh, background, which I'm very grateful for because I, my, my grandfather was a farmer, so my uncle was a farmer, so I, I got to know the land that way. Um, right. Too. And then when I did start to, to read uh, deeply, uh, Frost was, was Robert Frost just was immensely important to me. Walt Whitman was immensely, he was not from this area, obviously, um, but Whitman was one of the first poets who, who really in, inspired me. Um, again, I think, you know, Melville and Hawthorne were, were immensely important to me as, as a, a young reader and young writer. Dickinson, again, I'd have to say. Uh, as well. Uh, the other one, oh, the one I should mention is Richard Wilbur, um, who lived just, uh, again, half an hour away uh, from right. where I live now. And we became quite good friends later in life. And 
uh, and his poetry meant an immense amount to me. In fact, I have an elegy for him in, in the new book uh, as well. That's, oh, that's so amazing. And I feel like, is that, do you feel connection with that in like the culture you're talking about too? Where like this, I feel like there's some sort of symbolism in this and in your work where you talk about the intersection of culture and nature. Yeah. This is just like, this also kind of fits that in a way too. Yeah, I mean, that was a, <clears throat> I can, the other poet I would be remiss in not mentioning, though he's not American, would be Seamus Heaney. Um, and I studied in, in Ireland uh, during college for a semester, got to know Ireland and traveled it. And I was back in Ireland for the first time in 35 years, a couple of years ago, when I wrote that other poem and found myself profoundly moved by, I, I first met Heaney in Dublin uh, when I was 20 years old mm -hmm. and uh, we were not close I would not say that but we met several times over life and, and I had him come read at, uh, at Simon's Rock and things like that but mm -hmm. every time Seamus Heaney produced a new book I, I was in line to buy it I mean that's how important he was to me and, and we all have those those writers right. but there again I think Heaney had a marvelous way of connecting history and landscape and his own being his own work in the world. Um, he too grew up on a farm um, and that circles back to Frost. You know, uh, uh, Frost has just so much pure work and labor um, that he writes about in his poems. And I think that was a way for me, having come from a, a working uh, managerial class mm -hmm. that I could negotiate that I love the work of writing that's what I, I love actually the, the physical making of poems and the work of revising and I think that's what writing and poetry has been for me it has been a way to translate and uh, the work ethic and the work experience that I grew up with uh, into language wow that's I mean what a I I I find myself like looking for a better answer for like getting into poetry and there's, I feel like I can't find it. That's such a good answer. Like looking for kind of the answers yourself, right? Through poetry, that's amazing. Um, could you talk about the title of this, of this new book of poetry a little bit, Water Music? What is that? And you kind of talked, you touched on it before, I think where you said like, it's, in the environment around you, but like, could you go more? If there was any like specific stories too that you have about this title too? Yeah, the, the title is, uh, the title on the cover is Water Slash Music. Um, and uh, the way I pronounce it is uh, with the slight pause, Water Music. Hmm. Uh, and, and again, there's nothing more pure, more natural, more elemental than water, right? I mean, right. it is. It is what we came from. It is what we are made of. And without it, we, we disappear. Um, and then, but then there's, you know, poems and history and politics and pandemics um, uh, are, or the suffering of pandemics uh, um, are outside that realm, are, 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 are separate from uh, the, the natural world um, as much as we do live within the natural world. And like I said, I was sort of just interested in tracing or uh, exploring that boundary and uh, relationship between the two. I also didn't want the title to simply be Water Music um, because you have the very famous Handel 
uh, composition, musical yeah. composition, uh, that every you know Baroque uh, composition that we we know so well. And I also didn't want the title or the book to just be pretty, um, to have a pretty sound to it. Um, I wanted to sort of trouble the reader um, and and puzzle them a little bit. Why, why the separation? What does it mean? And then to think about what the poems do in, in the book. The po the book has five different sections, mm -hmm. and I would say two are uh, two of the sections are historical, cultural two are, are uh, of the natural world. And then the fifth is a kind of a combination of, of the two where, where everything kind of comes back again. So the book is a kind of journey through history and nature back to living in a combination of the two. And it, would you say too that, where you say like water is where we come from, it's what we're made of, but like you were also in a way overwhelmed by the state of the world to you, that this book kind of is a reset for people, maybe the people reading it to like kind of reset them to like what they are, who they are, what the essence of kind of the human experience has been. I, I hope so. I, I do aspire to that. Um, uh, the books in general, books of poetry tend to, I think of them as kind of journeys, as, as uh, setting forth on a, on a on a project, a kind of project of the inner of the of one's inner life, and I want that to happen for for the reader. There are uh, I epigraphs in the book. I, the opening, the f initial epigraphs in the book are from Theodore Ruthka, the great American uh, poet, and there are two. There are three separate sentences from his notebooks. One is, "We take from nature what we cannot see," and then we sigh before we sing, and then then almost silence, almost a pond shimmer. And those are all at the front of the book. In, in the section, at the front of the fifth section, I, I include another Rothka note. And that is, if there is not another life, there is at least another way to live. And that I think describes what the, what you, the journey that you're implying is that if I can provide the reader, take the reader through a journey whereby the reader can reflect that there's another way to live than, than the way we are so often forced to live day to day, hour to hour by hour in the, in the noise of the world. Right. We can step outside of that. Wow. That just, there's so much to like think on in that, what you just said too. And I feel like that even adds another layer to, I'm excited for the people who haven't read the book yet who are listening, who are like, wow, this is, they're good to see that with that kind of point of view too. It must be so special. Um, to talk about your, because you you have an amazing body of work and mm -hmm. it's just, it's very impressive. And I feel like every writer comes at their, um, comes at their different work with like, just like, it's maybe like their, a piece of themselves or a child like in the same way like a person has a child it's like this thing they're putting out in the world that has just a piece of their heart in it and I think with poetry there's an added layer to that because you're so much more exposed in a way you can't hide behind you can't hide behind exposition and over detailed stuff you can't hide that your heart is kind of more open how does this piece for this water music, how does it come, come, not even compare to the rest of your work, but just like 
speak to you on a different way than the rest of your work does? It it has more poems in it than any other book of po poetry of, of mine previously. And what I'm very pleased with about it, I it I think it contains almost every facet of my life. And that is to say, um, um, I, I am keenly interested in politics, in history. Um, it, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, there's a poem in here about St. Augustine taking a couple of facts about his life, odd, odd facts about his life. There's a poem about Monet. I love painting. I love uh, art. Uh, as I said, there's an elegy for Seamus Heaney. So there's poets have been a big part of my life. And then the again, nature just means a, a great deal to me, reflecting on that. Um, and I just I feel that this book just contains everything, all of the subjects. I, I write about many different kinds of things, and this kind of has all of them uh, in it. And yet it books are very hard usually for me to put together because I do write on so many different subjects. This one just kind of fell into place. I sort of laid out the poems on the kitchen table one day and there was section one, there was section two, there was section three, four, and five. And and of course you make tweakings and right. revisions and things, but it, it essentially held. I actually had the title before I had the book. I, I, I knew I wanted to write a book with the title water water music um and again because of where i live and the circumstances of my life it made sense for for a title so um yeah no i just feel that both this book takes us i would hope i'm hoping takes the reader on a journey through our moment and um and it links with the moment of my my journey in it across my life which is as we all know just the moment it goes by very quickly <laughs> yeah but like what an important moment you know what i mean like yeah. what a, it just uh that's I, I love that answer um it just it's i it's um so important to like look at your work like that too um I have just a last question I have um, for you. What is just something from your book that you hope every, you want every viewer to like see each poem this way? Like, how do you, like something that like, they wouldn't get just from like reading it. You want them to kind of just go into the book with this kind of point of view. I guess I would, I would hope that they would notice how carefully made the poems are and how important sound is to me, um, how important music is to me. And by that, I, I mean meter and, and, and sometimes rhyme, but certainly rhythm. Mm -hmm. And yet that it's not highly formal, that, that it's conversational and intimate. <clears throat> and that my hope is that they can hear my voice upon uh, upon the page mm -hmm. and then the second thing is that i just hope that the poems remind them of something in their own lives that that is just as valuable and valued by by, by themselves uh, I, i'm not a particularly confessional poet or wrought angsty kind of poet. um uh, i'm sort of just there trying to uh, again point out the the paradoxes and mysteries and beauties of, of the day going by that that I see anyhow. I might have told a lie because I said that was my last question, but I'm going to sneak one more in there. Is there any 
you said that like the, the musical sense of it. And when I think of poetry too, I think of like just a melody might come to my head or something that like comes there. Is there any music that you kind of identify this with specifically, like any either genre or even specific artist or anything like that? Yeah, I, 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 music has always been important to me. Um, I, and as I've grown older, both classical and jazz have become uh, the most important to me. I don't listen to popular music much uh, anymore. Um, and I would, gosh, um, I would, trying to think of specific, um, you know, I, I don't know, so somebody, it's, it's, this, this sounds old. Well, I love, I love the turn of the 20th century French music, um, people like uh, Debussy uh, mm -hmm. and, um, oh, I'm just blanking on, on other names, but, but music that is modest in its reach, but rich in, in its tonal uh, kind of, of textures. Um, and, and that's uh, equally what I enjoy in, in, in jazz, um, more, not contemporary jazz, I don't know enough about it, um, but uh, I, mean, I mean, Miles Davis' Kind of Blue is just iconic for me, that, that sense of tonal, modular, careful, careful tonal modulation is the same thing that I, that I, I, it's kind of thing that I'm trying to work on in the poems too. So would you tell people reading it that like, if you put this on, like either like um, the 20th century, the turn of the 20th century uh, French um, music or this Miles Davis, either one, like if you something or something that like aligns with that, if they kind of put that on while reading it, they would kind of get a more sense of maybe the of yeah, no, no, it could be. I I don't listen tend to listen to music while I read poetry myself. So um, I, I find because I love music too much, I find myself paying more attention to the music. Right, um, that's fair. Uh, you know, I guess the other piece of music I, that always means a lot to me is is Mozart's uh, uh, Haydn uh, uh, quartets. Yeah. Um, it's a series of six quartets. Um, that, well, the other one that has always meant a great deal to me would be the Bach cello concertos. Um, so if I guess if I were asked for them to put any piece of music on to uh, listen to, maybe it would be the Bach cello concertos um, because of their kind of uh, the six concertos and again, the range and, and um, uh, vast uh, tonal modulation that, that happens within them. Wow, that's, um, well... That's a great answer. I mean, <laughs> no, I want to put it on as I reread some of these poems. This is gonna, this is great. So I think that's all of my questions. Is there anything else that about the book that you would like to share to our listeners? No, um, no. But I want to thank you. This is you did a wonderful job, Lance, and and I really appreciate Skylight uh, Books uh, uh, running this podcast series. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope people buy the book. I hope they enjoy the poems and. Support their local independent bookstores. You, you are the, the life and blood of our society. So no, we and I mean I know for a fact that Skylight has an amazing poetry fan base and customers that come in. So I hope they listen and pick up and see your book and get to like appreciate it the way that I've appreciated reading and talking to you too. So I hope they get this out of it. So thank you so much, Peter, for sharing this. Um, 
today, so today's guest once again is Peter Falcons, and we're discussing um, his book of poems, Water Music. You can order a copy today at skylightbooks.com or go to just visit our store and browse um, browse away and pick up a copy and also pick, pick up a copy of Peter's other works too and really explore him. Thank you for listening and please come again and have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.